You are listening to a Pleasure Podcast. For more from our Sex Podcast Collective, visit pleasurepodcasts.com. Hello, my wonderful friends. Welcome to American Sex, a podcast dedicated to normalizing conversations about pleasure and alternative sexual expression by challenging those puritanical, backward-ass ideals that we have here in the United States. This is episode 151 of American Sex Podcast, and I'm Sunny Megatron. My co-host is Ken Melvoin-Berg, and we're both sexuality educators, pleasure advocates, and we are kinky perverts too. As promised, this week's episode is the long-awaited what the hell is happening with all this social media censorship episode. And your guest is me. I'm sad for you because Ken is sitting this one out this week, but he'll be back next week. But if you're thinking, I really don't need to listen to this episode because like boring, you know, I am just a regular person that uses Facebook and Instagram just a little bit. This stuff doesn't affect me. Well, think again. From social media terms of service changes to the issues that happened with Pornhub over the last couple months to Section 230 being continually wrapped up in our COVID relief bills, even to Trump being kicked off all major social media platforms and Parler being taken offline, all of that stuff relates back to this and all of these things affect each and every one of us, including you, in ways that you probably never anticipated. And it's a lot more impactful than you could ever imagine. Now, if you follow me on TikTok, I've talked about bits and pieces of this here and there. But of course, this is way too complicated to fit into little tiny 60 second snippets. So this week's episode is the full picture, and it might just completely blow y'all's damn mind. But before we sink into this week's topic, you know what time it is, don't you? It's big welcome and heartfelt appreciation time to the new members of our Patreon family. I want to give a big, huge welcome and heartfelt appreciation to Michael for becoming an American Sex Podcast Patreon member this past week. And you too, right there listening to this podcast, you can become an American Sex Podcast Patreon member too at patreon.com slash American Sex. And I'm going to give you stuff like you get bonus stories from our guests, extra full length episodes, all of our regular episodes early. American Sex Podcast stickers sent you in the mail, a shout out on the podcast like Michael got, and other random surprises like the other week we did a social event with Midori and Caroline Carrington, and you missed it. But you don't want to miss the next one. So come on and join us. Also, Ken and I give almost all of our content away for free, which is a lot more than just this podcast, because we wholeheartedly believe that these conversations are so important. They are not only life changing, in some respects, they can be life saving. And we feel that people should not have financial barriers that prevent them from accessing this information. So by supporting us, you allow our content to remain free for everybody. So again, that address is patreon.com slash American sex. All right, 
Are you ready? Strap in, strap on. If, you know, that's the way you cope. I cope that way sometimes. But there's a lot of censorship BS that's been happening lately and been happening for a long time, and it is coming down hard. So here's the full story. So how the hell does all of this governmental censorship stuff and, you know, terms of service changes on social media platforms affect you and more specifically your sexuality? So it's important to understand that going into this conversation, there there are a bunch of different pieces at play here. And on the surface, they seem to be unrelated or to only affect a specific segment of the population. But as we dig in further, you'll discover how all of these seemingly standalone things are very much related and very much affect every single person that uses the internet, especially people that use the internet for anything remotely sexy. And that's you. Because you know what? You're listening to this podcast, which wouldn't be available to you without the internet. So another thing to keep in mind is this is not a partisan issue. It's not just conservatives who are pushing this kind of censorship. And under a Democratic-led administration, all of these things are still very much an issue. Biden didn't save us from all of this stuff. Now, this is coming from all sides, and it's going to affect literally every person that uses the internet. Another thing that I want you to keep in mind while you're listening to this is I am not a tech ethics or censorship expert. I'm not a U.S. law expert. I'm not even a real journalist. My explanation of what's going on here is based on my own personal research and my familiarity of the business side of sexual health and wellness. Now, although I'm pretty confident I'm presenting the gist of what's going on objectively, that's only my opinion after all. And like I said, I'm not a professional at this specific stuff. Although I've done my due diligence to get every fact that I can write, hey, I might have fumbled a few of the fine details. So American fuckers, I am urging you to treat me as Wikipedia. Like I'm introducing you to a topic, right? But there's a chance that I might not be the most ironclad resource. So after listening to this episode, please go do your own research and go form your own opinions. I'm going to get you started in the show notes. I have a ton of different links to articles and things you can read that can start leading you down the rabbit hole of learning all about this stuff on your own. I also encourage you to listen to the voices of sex workers on this too. Okay, so yeah, I'm in a sex work adjacent industry, and I've done some online sex work in the past. Plus, I also consider myself an ally and advocate for sex workers. But I'm not coming at this from a dedicated sex work lens. Go follow accounts like Swap, which is Sex Workers Outreach Project on social media. I'll also link some important tweet threads about this censorship issue um, from sex workers in the show notes so you can follow those people as well. 
Also, we have done a few episodes on American Sex Podcast about censorship. I highly recommend that you listen to our episode 148, which is censorship and sex on the internet. I will have that linked in the show notes. There's also an episode that we did prior about SESTA-FOSTA. So all of that relevant stuff will be in the links as well. So with all of those caveats and information out of the way, the first thing we're going to dig into is Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act of 1996. Now, you may have heard a lot of talk about this in the news, especially recently. Trump wanted to repeal Section 230, as did quite a few Republican lawmakers. In the last COVID relief bill that passed, Republicans kept trying to include the stripping of Section 230 protections in that COVID relief bill. When all was said and done, the bill didn't include any changes to Section 230. And although a few good things could come of Section 230 being repealed. Overall, big picture wise, it would be a very bad thing. And I'm going to get into why in just a second. Now, keep in mind, just because this wasn't included in the latest COVID relief bill doesn't mean we're off the hook. Joe Biden also wants to repeal Section 230. And there's evidence that the storming of the Capitol invigorated or reinvigorated some of the politicians to really want to repeal Section 230. So this is going to be an issue for a while. So if you're not up on your 230, you might be like, what the fuck is Section 230 anyway? So in short, It stipulates that internet platforms are not publishers. So publishers like the New York Times, for example, they're responsible if one of their journalists says something dangerous or grossly untrue or something that inspires people to go out and commit violence. But Section 230 says internet platforms are not publishers. They're not responsible for that stuff. They treat, um, it treats the internet more like a library, right? A library houses the books, but is not responsible for the accuracy of the contents within those books or the damage that they might cause. So in April of 2018, the bills SESTA and FOSTA were passed. That stands for the Stop Enabling Sex Traffickers Act and the Fight Online Sex Traffickers Act. So as I said, if you're not familiar with the ins and outs of SESTA-FOSTA, episode 36 of American Sex Podcast with Kitty Stryker really gets into the nitty gritty of what these bills were all about. But the basic nutshell, what you need to know for this conversation is these are anti-sex trafficking bills, which you can tell by their name. And that's great. I mean, nobody should support sex trafficking. Who in their right mind would support sex trafficking? Shouldn't we all support SESTA-FOSTA too? But you see, the way these bills were written was very harmful to a lot of people, especially sex workers. And by many reports, many official reports by law enforcement and all sorts of people, since SESTA-FOSTA was passed in 2018, They've actually made trafficking more difficult to stop and put more people in danger. So the one thing 
that SESTA FOSTA did that relates to the censorship piece is it repealed one little tiny specific portion of Section 230 protections. So it made platforms directly liable if any one of their users use that platform to facilitate sex trafficking. So that means if somebody sent a Facebook message or an email using Gmail or whatever, private message on Instagram, Facebook, Gmail, Instagram, whoever would be directly liable if sex trafficking resulted from those communications. So, and I'm not talking liable with some kind of fine because corporations have money coming out of their buttholes. They can afford it, right? No, I'm talking that people from these platforms, perhaps even Zuckerberg himself, could see prison time. So it's also important to keep in mind that sex trafficking isn't often what we think it is and how it's been presented to us. So it's presented in the media like uh, creepy men jump out of vans and abduct young women from Target parking lots and then sell them into sex slavery, or that Wayfair is selling overpriced cabinets because they're a cover for the buying and selling of trafficked children. You know, stories of people being kidnapped by strangers and carted off to another state or another country are largely propaganda. And we're going to uncover why and by whom, you know, who is saying this a little bit later. But the fact of the matter is, trafficking absolutely does happen. And it happens a lot more often than we think. But most trafficking victims are coerced into exploitation by people they know and trust. Often it may be romantic partners. From the outside looking in, sometimes it's hard to tell the difference between a controlling or abusive relationship from one that involves trafficking. And because it's so wrapped up in coercion and manipulation and abuse, it's also sometimes hard for the victim themselves to recognize What's happening to them is trafficking. So keep that in mind for context as we're talking about this. So if it's hard for people to recognize that trafficking might be happening in their own lives or in their own friend or family circles, it's certainly difficult, if not often impossible, for platforms to differentiate between consensual sex work and what could be trafficking. So as a precaution, uh, in 2018, when SESTA-FOSTA was enforced, platforms started cracking down on any and all sexual content just to be safe, just to cover their butts. Zuckerberg didn't want to go to prison, right? They, They can't tell what's what, so get rid of it all. It turns out this negatively affected people doing consensual and or legal sex work. And many platforms that sex workers used to screen potential in-person clients were completely taken offline. So now there's no way to screen these people that sex workers were seeing in person. And that made it much more dangerous. The rates of violence and murder against sex workers rose dramatically. Like There are statistics. It is without a doubt. Now, those doing online sex work, like phone sex, or you make movies on clip sites, or you have an OnlyFans, right? 
were and still are heavily restricted on mainstream social media sites. So I'm talking like Instagram accounts, for example, with photos that don't violate the terms of service, not even ones that kind of push the envelope, right? Um, Those are being deleted because the owner of the account perhaps mentioned that they did phone sex or mentioned that they had an OnlyFans or a lot of vanilla and family accounts of people are being deleted because somewhere else on the internet, they're associated with sex work. You know, people who do porn, any kind of online sex work, any kind of legal sex work, they have personal lives. They have, uh, you know, social media accounts where they put up pictures of their family and their dogs. But if they are associated with sex work in any shape or form, those mainstream media platforms have a target on their backs, like they're in the crosshairs and could be and oftentimes are deleted, restricted, etc. So non sex workers are getting caught up in the mix too. give you a couple examples, massage therapists could not advertise online anymore as soon as SESTA-FOSTA was enacted in 2018 because it was impossible for platforms to differentiate who was a licensed massage therapist and who gave erotic massages, right? And rather than think up a way to make this distinction, they just got rid of all online massage service spaces, right? Also, non-sexual ASMR content creators They're being deleted from YouTube 2018. It just immediately started. And these were creators that made their living, you know, making noises like this. And that relaxes people. It lulls them to sleep. A lot of people love it. And if you don't love it, I'm sorry. I probably should have given you a warning. I was doing some ASMR. But again, none of what I just did was sexual in any way, shape, or form. Even though some people do sexual ASMR, there are plenty of people that do, you know, G-rated. But again, platforms didn't want to or didn't have the capability to figure out who was doing the sexual ASMR or who wasn't. So they simply got rid of it all. Now, never mind that even if some of the ASMR was sexual, who cares? Who is it harming? titillating ASMR is still a very far cry from sex trafficking. There's something wrong here that this content is being deleted from the internet and social media platforms and YouTube to begin with. Also, remember Craigslist casual encounters? SESTA FOSTA is why that no longer exists. Again, they don't know if people are hooking up just to hook up or if it's a trafficking thing. SESTA FOSTA profoundly changed the way people use the internet for anything sex-related or anything that could possibly be misconstrued as sex-related. So this is the result of only a teeny tiny little piece of Section 230 being repealed. Now, currently, both the Republicans and the Democrats, including Joe Biden, have their eye on repealing all Section 230 protections. That would make platforms liable for anything about any subject users on any platform said. That would force platforms to enact sweeping censorship, just like they did with sex-related stuff in response to SESTA-FOSTA, but for 
everything. Now, one of the reasons that politicians on the left want to repeal Section 230 is it would stop the dangerous right-wing rhetoric that's spreading across the internet, you know, from QAnon conspiracies to 8chan to Parler that is now partially offline. And from what I understand, the part that's still online, the web version is being hosted in Russia, which uh, um, but you know, it would even stop the dangerous things that Donald Trump says, you know, again, now he's not on social media, but who knows if Donald Trump 2.0 will pop up and be a massive propaganda media machine hosted out of Russia. I, you know, nothing would surprise me at this point. We all want things like this gone. You know, we're all in agreement here that nothing good comes of that stuff. But repealing Section 230 to accomplish this is also going to silence so many other important voices. Repealing Section 230 is like that saying, throwing the baby out with the bathwater. Or an analogy for you gamers, because I know a lot of American fuckers are also gamers. This is like trying to kill a big boss in a dungeon fight, right? You have an area of effect spell that you know would decimate this dragon, but your party members are standing too close to the dragon. So if you used your AOE spell to defeat him, you're going to kill your party members too. We don't want QAnon conspiracies to spread, but we also saw what happened with SESTA-FOSTA. Platforms couldn't differentiate the truly bad stuff from the good stuff, so they just blocked it all. This very well could happen if Section 230 protections are rolled back. You know, suddenly all social movements, whether it's Black Lives Matter, legal and civil protests, LGBTQ activism, environmental activism, hell, like all of science, right? And so many other things could be thrown out with that bathwater. And put simply, that would not be good. Getting rid of hate groups by repealing Section 230 is going to wipe out everything. And I want to talk about the First Amendment here, you know, because a lot of people go, oh, it's violating my First Amendment. And people throw that around. And most of the time, they don't really know what they're talking about. And it's not really a violation of the First Amendment. So yes, First Amendment stuff only applies if it is the government that is censoring your speech. They can't do that. But platforms social media, Facebook, Instagram, whatever, they're private entities, and they can make whatever rules they want, and they can restrict you however they want. You have no legal right to use that platform. So if tomorrow Twitter was like, it is now against our terms of service to post anything related to gummy bears, and if you violate that rule, your account will be terminated. They can legally do that, and there is absolutely nothing you can do about it. Now, with the portion of Section 230 that was repealed with SESTA-FOSTA, or, you know, all of it if one day it's completely repealed, many argue that this is a different animal. Yes, you know, technically the platforms are restricting you, and yes, they can do whatever they want. A platform restricting you is not a First Amendment violation, but... The reason they're restricting you is in response to the government restricting them. So it can be argued that it is a First Amendment violation kind of 
by proxy. So the Woodhill Sexual Freedom Foundation, they do a great sexuality conference every summer. They filed a case in 2018 in response to SESTA-FOSTA. It's currently in the Supreme Court, and it alleges that SESTA-FOSTA does violate both the First and Fifth Amendments. So we have yet to see what the outcome will be, but, you know, I've got my fingers crossed because if we win that, then repealing the rest of Section 230 will never happen. So there's also the question of how the recent step of social media platforms taking measures into their own hands and deleting people like Trump or Lynn Wood, uh, Twitter, I think, deleted 50,000 QAnon accounts, you know, and Amazon and the Play Store's decimating parlor, how all of that factors in. You know, again, one of the reasons politicians on the left are pushing so hard for Section 230 to be repealed is it would shut down sites spreading dangerous information like any right wing propaganda site like Parler or, you know, if Trump comes up with some sort of media property. And it would force mainstream platforms to shut down accounts like Trump's or Lynn Woods or whatever before they ever had a chance to get as incredibly dangerous as they did. It's no question that this massive white supremacist movement and QAnon's conspiracies were supercharged by the internet, right? We even have QAnon Congress people that were elected that are now strongly suspected of helping the insurrectionists from the inside on January 6th. You know, what would have happened if they weren't legally allowed to spread their conspiracies on social media in the first place? But does legally forbidding them from using social media set a slippery slope and a dangerous precedent opening the door for the government to restrict things that should not be restricted? Or, you know, now that big tech companies finally had the balls to deplatform these people, can we trust that they're going to take care of their own sooner and more often? Who knows? You know, these are the questions that remain unanswered. I've linked in the show notes a great article from Vox about these issues. And in it, there's a few quotes from politicians that indicate the Capitol riots and the slow action of social media platforms to restrict hate speech and communication and, you know, all the the coordinating violence stuff on the internet is actually making repealing Section 230 more appealing to politicians on both sides. I highly suggest reading that article. It gives a really balanced view of all sides of the issue in its most current format. So before getting back to the sex thing, because this really is all related, I got to take one more detour about QAnon. Now, a lot of people think it's a group of conspiracies, you know, like anti-vaxxing and 5G and microchipping and the virus is fake and they're trying to take our guns, America, patriots, and that sort of thing. Um, and, and yes, but there's something deeper under it. QAnon is actually based on one super out there conspiracy theory that not a lot of people realize. Not even a lot of patriots realize that this is QAnon's origin. Um, so the original basis of QAnon beliefs is that Democrats, billionaires, and the Hollywood elite are secretly controlling every government in the world, and they have been for years. They are also satanic pedophiles. Yeah, I said satanic pedophiles. They are running a massive child sex trafficking ring. But 
it gets weirder, not just for the sex, but they're harvesting a chemical found in children's brains called adrenochrome that will extend their lives and enable them to control the world forever. And their hero, Donald Trump, rose to power and some argue was anointed by Jesus to stop these horrible, satanic, brain-draining pedophiles. Um, I'm not kidding. I am not kidding. There's, I got some articles in the show notes. This is the origin of, of, uh, of QAnon. So I also mentioned earlier how sex trafficking is not really what we think it is and what we've been fed to believe it is. Uh, on Facebook, you know, those copy-paste posts that go around warning of like kidnapping and trafficking scheme that was uh, spotted in your area. And, you know, women, be careful, take these precautions. A lot of these posts have QAnon origins. And a lot of people don't know that. And I see a lot of people who are even consider themselves on the left or more liberal reposting these things, thinking that they're true. Now, QAnon has hijacked the hashtag Save the Children. They did this a few months back with these outlandish stories about how mask mandates were supported by left-wing politicians and Hollywood elites because they obscure the faces of kidnapped children who are being harvested for their brain juice by the evil left. And also the evil left are lizard people. Like, it's really whack. There's a whole thing. Um, but yeah, go go listen to the podcast that I have linked in the show notes. It is uh, the podcast called You're Wrong About, and it's an episode called Wayfair and Human Trafficking Statistics. I highly recommend you listen to that. So again, I am not saying that people are not being trafficked and that children are not being abused. They absolutely are, and in large numbers. And we need to do everything we can to stop that from happening. But these ridiculous non-factual stories that are being spread on social media aren't describing the true realities of what these things are, how to stop them, how to spot them. It's a diversion that's taking the focus off the real issue and in essence, hurting more people than they're helping. But again, I digress. Go listen to that You're Wrong About episode. I'm going to get back to drilling down on how this affects sex censorship and you. Okay, so we covered Section 230 and took a detour with QAnon and yada yada. It's a big thing that's happening now, but there's a lot more. So let's talk about what happened with Pornhub in December of 2020 and how this ties into the big picture. So a New York Times opinion piece titled The Children of Pornhub was written by Pulitzer Prize-winning columnist Nicholas Kristof and published on December 4th, 2020. And this kicked off a series of unfortunate events. And yes, this article is in the show notes for you to read. So it alleged that Pornhub was riddled with child porn, and it had some truly heartbreaking stories in it. The The way this article was written was excellent. I know why you're a Pulitzer Prize winning writer, Nicholas Kristof, but it even made me feel all sorts of ways when I was reading it. I was like, this is freaking terrible. It was so emotionally hard hitting that I didn't even catch some of the inconsistencies that were laid out in that article as plain as day. So one of those 
is that an independent auditing group that monitors sites for child porn found. So this is a quote from the article. Internet Watch Foundation, an England-based nonprofit that combats child sexual abuse imagery, reported only 118 instances of child sexual abuse imagery on its site over almost three years. And when they're saying it, they're referring to Pornhub, okay? So I'm going to be real clear, that is 118 too many. There is no excuse for that. It should be zero, right? I'm going to quote, though, again, from Christoph's article. Quote, I asked the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children to compile the number of images, videos, and other content related to child sexual exploitation reported to it each year. In 2015, it received reports of 6.5 million videos or other files. 2017, 20.6 million. 2019, 69.2 million. Facebook removed 12.4 million images related to child exploitation in a three-month period this year. Twitter closed 264,000 accounts in six months last year for engaging in sexual exploitation of children. What? Why so many on Facebook and Twitter? What? 118 on on Pornhub in three years. What? So Christoph goes on to speculate why Pornhub's numbers were so low and goes on to suppose that it's the nature of the site. You know, basically he says, well, it's a bunch of perverts watching Pornhub anyway. So of course they aren't going to report child porn. You know, it's it's basically the quote, they're all a bunch of sickos with no morals argument. Um Also, what the article fails to dive into is the process behind how X-rated videos are put up on the internet and the process Pornhub and other sites have put in place to make sure this kind of material isn't uploaded to their sites. They don't want child porn on their sites either. They don't want revenge porn on their sites. They don't want that stuff. Now, again, some of the articles I'm pointing to in the show notes get into the exact screening process of these different adult websites. But one thing is clear, these sites are going to extraordinary measures to make sure this material is not uploaded to their sites. And yes, sadly, 118 instances in three years did slip through. And even though that's a small number compared to Facebook and Twitter, I'm still going to say they need to do better and make that number zero. But now let's talk about Facebook. 12 and a half million instances in three months. Some of you, and I've heard this from plenty of people, you know, may have seen underage or even non-consensual revenge material posted on Facebook. There are Facebook pages, there's secret groups all over Facebook for this kind of thing. I have heard So many instances of people saying, I came across it, I was nauseated, I couldn't believe it, I reported and reported and reported, and nothing. Facebook didn't take it down. There is no dedicated procedure in place to address this, so it slips through the cracks. You know, also with Twitter and other mainstream platforms, they don't have the infrastructure in place to address this. I've personally had an instance of someone 
stealing pictures of my children, who at the time were minors, and making dozens of fake profiles with those pictures, pretending that they were part of the family. Now, although they were not graphic pictures or anything, this person was pretending that they were married to my 15-year-old daughter and saying all sorts of inappropriate things. Now, we reported this to Facebook hundreds of times. We reported it. uh, Friends and family reported it. They just kept putting up profile after profile after profile. We kept reporting it, kept reporting it time and time again. Those profiles are still up to this day. And this happened like three or four years ago. Now, the police, we called the police. They were able to do something about it in person. And, you know, they gave the person a warning and that sort of thing. But no one on Facebook could be reached. Facebook never addressed it. Those profiles are still up. They also made profiles on Instagram, on Snapchat, you know, talking about this made up romantic relationship they were in with my minor child. And those platforms also did nothing. Trying to submit even a complaint was near impossible. And when we did, you know, they would come back saying, well, we've looked into this and determined there is no violation, blah, 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 blah. Um, You know, this happens so much on mainstream sites. Yet, why why is nobody addressing this? I I, I don't know. Uh, well, I know, but we'll get there. Um, you know, there was also some other glaring inconsistencies and baseless assumptions uh, that Kristoff made in this New York Times article as well. And and I'll I'll direct you to some of the industry articles in the show notes for more details on that. So, anyway, a week after this article came out. Visa and MasterCard said that they were disabling payment processing services for Pornhub and all other sites that its parent company, MindGeek, owned. And this was 100% in response to this New York Times article. But who ended up hurt by this? The independent models that sell their content on Pornhub. All of their payments stopped just before Christmas. And as a whole aside, it could honestly be a whole nother episode. There's some issues with why banks and payment processors are calling the shots as to what is considered obscene or not on the websites that they service. There has been a long history of payment processors continually disallowing the strangest, most innocuous things on sites randomly at will. But again, that's a whole nother story, a whole nother episode. But no, that's another factor. Why are banks controlling this in the first place? Anyway, so while Visa and MasterCard are heavily investigating Pornhub at this time, they make no mention, and other sites too, a few other adult uh, tube sites, they make no mention of Facebook, you know, Instagram, any other mainstream site that has millions of counts of child porn and no reporting process in place. That just leaves me scratching my head. You know, it turns out in Christoph's article, he mentioned an anti-trafficking and child porn organization called Trafficking Hub. They are owned by an organization called Exodus Cry. Exodus Cry is a nonprofit Christian advocacy organization who, in addition to being an anti-sex trafficking group, they also aim to abolish the legal commercial sex industry, which includes pornography, strip clubs, and all consensual sex work. 
Again, do some research on all of the crap Exodus Cry has pulled over the years. But in a nutshell, they are anti all types of pornographic material and sex work, even the legal stuff, even people that have OnlyFans accounts. Uh, tech and adult industry journalists found evidence of questionable details in Kristoff's article being heavily influenced by Exodus Cry. Now, Exodus Cry is also an anti-reproductive rights, anti-LGBTQ rights group. They have a history of supporting conversion therapy and are pro-purity culture. They believe all sex work in any form is exploitation and trafficking. And the people who find it empowering are naturally brainwashed and being fed lies. They believe that every corner of the sex industry involves violence and exploitation. The president of Exodus Cry has given public talks where he said things like, you know, pornography is, quote, the lust of Satan. Uh, another quote is, we are in a dark hour of sexual turbulence across the planet, but God has promised he will have a bride without spot or blemish. He defines uh, sexual immorality as, quote, all sexual activity outside of the marriage covenant between one man and one woman, and also that toxic sexuality, which is apparently what each and every one of us are engaging in, is responsible for abortion, rape, sex trafficking, and, quote, the implosion of the nuclear family. So to recap... A fundamentalist Christian group influenced a Pulitzer Prize-winning author to write an article in the New York Times, which led to Pornhub being heavily restricted. Um, mm. Side note, I've just started watching the documentary series called The Family on Netflix. I'm only like three and a half episodes in, but ooh, it will shed light on the extraordinary pull that fundamentalist Christianity has on both sides of politics and how it is tight woven in almost everything Republicans and Democrats do. There's even ties to Russia. Like I said, I'm not done with the series yet. So I don't it could get weird. But so far, I'm like, holy moly, watch it. Anyway, I digressed again. But let's get this timing straight. So December 2020, the article influenced by an anti sex fundamentalist Christian group came out. And you may have noticed this, Suddenly, every major social media platform changed their terms of service. Also in December 2020, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and a lot more had major terms of service changes. Most of these were centered around sexual content, most notably in the sexual solicitation sections of their terms of service documents. They stipulate links or even mentions to sites like OnlyFans are no longer allowed. Erotic art is no longer allowed. Certain emojis used together, not allowed. Uh, a bunch of additional hashtags, you know, they're, they're no longer allowed. A bunch of other stuff. And we're seeing the collateral damage of this immediately. You know, certain words have been completely banned from social media. You can no longer say BDSM on these platforms without being deleted or massively suppressed. You'll see now I just call it kink. Like I'm done using the term BDSM. Um, the word sex is also being flagged. 
Life is way too short to sleep between anything less than really nice sheets. I've spent the majority of my life rotating the same few sets of regular old sheets through my bedroom, and I've looked at some premium retailers, but then I calculated how much just one set of fancy sheets would set me back, and I gave right up. But then I discovered Brooklinen. So Brooklinen was started by Rich and Vicky. They also tried to find beautiful home essentials that didn't cost an arm and a leg. And when they couldn't, they founded Brooklinen as the first direct-to-consumer bedding company. They work directly with manufacturers to make luxury available directly to you without the luxury-level markups. Brooklinen has over 50,000 five-star reviews and counting. They're so confident you'll love their products, they even offer a 365-day money-back guarantee. And Brooklinen is so much more than sheets. They've got comforters, pillows, towels, even loungewear, and a lot more. Now, if you want a personal recommendation, I say go for the buttery smooth Lux Satin Set. 480 thread count. That's the set that Ken and I have in a really cool graphite gray color, by the way. And we don't want to get out of bed in the mornings. It is 2021. Do something nice for yourself to start the new year. To help you do that, Brooklinen has a special offer. Go to brooklinen.com and use the code SUNNY, S-U-N-N-Y, to get $25 off when you spend $100 or more. Oh, and you get free shipping. That's B-R-O-O-K-L-I-N-E-N.com with the code SUNNY to get $25 off when you spend $100 or more and free shipping. Brooklinen.com with code SUNNY at checkout. These days, life can feel a little bit repetitive. No matter how much we appreciate our partners, having the same type of sex day in and day out can start to feel just a little boring. But good news, Satisfyer just released new app-enabled vibrators that allow you to spice things up. With their vibes, you can take control or give up control, whether it's with someone in the room or on the other side of the world. Satisfyer's new line of affordable products is Bluetooth enabled to connect with their award-winning app that works with Android, Apple, and iWatch. You can turn your phone into a live remote control for your pleasure device or put someone else in control of your device. Satisfyer uses the highest privacy protection with their app. They don't save any of your data. You don't even need to use an email address to log in. They use strong bond technology that prevents anyone from tracking, exchanging data, or taking over your Bluetooth once your devices are bonded. One of my favorites is the Curvy 2 Plus. It stimulates the clitoris with air pulse technology and intense vibration, and you can flip it over for G-Spot play. Satisfier is offering our lucky listeners 40% off and free shipping for all app-enabled devices when you go to satisfier.com and enter the promo code SUNNY40. That's S-U-N-N-Y 4-0. Again, if you're looking for one of these new devices, go to S-A-T-I-S-F-Y-E-R.com and use the code SUNNY40 for 40% off and free shipping. Now, this censorship has collateral damage. You know, we don't only use the word sex when we're being titillating. 
We talk about sexual abuse, sexual dysfunction. Doctors talk about sexual organs. Uh, Someone talking about how they're a sexual assault survivor online can be powerful for so many people, but now they can't say the word. And platforms are censoring the misspellings too. Like um, S-E-K-X is now flagged. The, the platforms know you're trying to say sex. Um, I have a colleague who's a sex therapist, can't say that anymore. Uh, they use the word instead of sex, they used S-A-X to talk about sex addiction. And it just wouldn't post, wouldn't post, wouldn't post until she changed it to S asterisk X. Now, first of all, I don't know what the saxophone playing enthusiasts are going to do now that sax is a banned word. Um, but when we use the the symbols in words like S asterisk X, people who use screen readers on websites now are just hearing gibberish and they can't read our posts. This is a problem. I'm also hearing a lot of my colleagues reporting they're they're being locked out of their Facebook accounts because suddenly posts from 2012 are being flagged as inappropriate. You know, every time new restrictions are added by platforms, they retroactively include everything, no matter when those things were posted or what the rules were when those things were posted. Now, even if you notice on my social media, on on my bios, on my platforms, I no longer call myself a sex educator. I'm now an intimacy educator, not a pleasure educator, which I think fits a little better because the word pleasure is also being flagged. Um, My TV show and my podcast have the word sex in them. So sadly, I have to use X3X. That's the only way I can get around it. A few weeks back, a lot of us in the sex positive community were trying to think of ways to get around the censorship. It's like, okay, we can't use symbols because screen readers can't read it. Every time we come up with a misspelling like S-A-X, they flag that. You know, we call on TikTok, sex workers are often called accountants. They're now starting to flag the word accountant. And I feel bad for the real accountants. Now they're being, you know, censored and they had nothing to do with anything. So I had come up with an idea that we're starting to use a little bit on TikTok. We're using words that they can't censor. So now sex is Congress, like sexual Congress. I'd like to see them try to censor the word Congress. They're going to be hearing it. And kink, because they're it's going to be a matter of time before they start censoring the word kink too, just like they censored BDSM, is now CIA. That is a legitimate acronym. We're not talking about the government. No, we are talking about a consensual, intimate, activity, CIA. So as kinksters, we're CIA operatives. So we'll see how that goes. But long story short, all of this is a real problem. Now, many theorize that Exodus Cry might be behind this latest crackdown on legal online sex work. And this is a damaging time to restrict legal online sex workers. Like so many people are out of work due to COVID and they turn to sites like OnlyFans to earn a living. For many, that's the only income keeping their children fed or roof over their heads. Now, look, you know, we have the wage gap, right? Women make 81 cents for every dollar a man makes. And if you're looking exclusively at black women, black women make 63 cents for every dollar a man makes. In 2020, American women lost over 5 million jobs, way more than men lost. Now in the show notes, I have an article from Forbes. And to quote, 
It's a quote from the article. Not only did the U.S. workforce lose 140,000 jobs in December, but women lost a net of 156,000 jobs, while men gained a net of 16,000 jobs. In other words, women accounted for 100% of the labor market's first month of losses since a tepid recovery began in May. Wow. It is widely known that women dominate the sex industry, right? It's one of the few industries where we are capable of dominating, and that is a double entendre. Uh, We're capable of making lots of money. And I'm not just talking enough to sustain ourselves, but enough to really thrive. And think about intersectionality. You know, what type of women benefit most from consensual sex work? Women who did not grow up financially privileged or did not have access to higher education, women who don't have the connections in the mainstream job market to get into fields where they could make a lot of money, Uh, black women and other women of color, trans women, queer women, women who are disabled, women who are single mothers, women who are trying to or have succeeded in leaving abusive relationships. You know, the list goes on and on and on. And now, This is a point where I'm going to interject some of my own speculation here. And again, I encourage you to do your own research and draw your own conclusions. You may or may not agree with the road I'm about to go down. But what I do hope is that what I'm about to say encourages you to look at how all of this fits into even the bigger picture and then draw your own conclusions. So what does capitalism thrive on, right? Keeping the rich richer and keeping the poor poorer. In a capitalistic society, those that aren't in the top percentage financially, we're just human capital, right? We support the system and do the labor to keep the rich on top. And one of the major tools of capitalism is to keep the poor disenfranchised and without power. And what is power in a capitalistic society? It's money, right? And the ability to generate it independently of any other entity, the ability to be the boss, to own the companies. Research how and why the public educational system is configured the way it is. Now, basically, it's configured to keep humans obedient, to keep humans used to working hard, used to living by a certain structure. It was also designed to teach us to conform, to not be independent thinkers, to not think outside of the box, and to not be too intelligent. The public education system is designed to keep us supporting the capitalist framework And in essence, be good little worker bees, right? So when the pandemic hit, thousands of people started online sex work on sites like OnlyFans. In just a year, the number of providers on OnlyFans went from something like 150,000 to well over a million. And many people found that they made more money doing OnlyFans than they did in their mainstream pre-COVID job for marginalized people, you know, BIPOC, LGBTQ, disabled, single moms, etc. You know, the ability to work from home and set their own schedule was empowering. And when I say empowering, I mean from all angles, from a mental health perspective, from a self-care perspective, from a work-life balance perspective, from a financial perspective, the whole shebang. 
empowered, healthy, thriving, financially stable people in large numbers can do some pretty awesome and world-changing stuff. And because so many formerly mainstream people got into sex work in 2020, this dramatically decreased sex worker stigma. Sex work is no longer dirty and shameful, right? Even sex itself is no longer so dirty and shameful. Remember, you know, religion tries to control us by controlling and shaming our sexual expression and our identity. So now sex is celebrated, and so is sex work. In 2020, getting into sex work is a smart financial move. It's a good job. You know, I joke that like every other person's grandma now has an OnlyFans page. Seriously, though, even celebrities are getting OnlyFans pages. It's not a big deal. And this is a way for a huge segment of the population to help themselves when they are living in the only modernized country who isn't financially supporting their citizens through COVID. And why? Why aren't American citizens receiving help? Why do we have over 400,000 of us who've unnecessarily died in less than a year? Why are so many of us that survived going to be left with permanent disabilities? I mean, the estimates I've seen is something like 25% of COVID survivors are considered long haulers, and they are left with potentially lifelong effects. And we live in a country without health care. So we're stuck absorbing those medical costs potentially for a lifetime. This makes me so angry. And I am not sure at this point if there is a calculated end game, you know, that slips into conspiracy theory territory. And I don't want to be like that. Who knows? Maybe all of these pieces are coincidentally falling in place and they are benefiting those that are in power, regardless of how this is orchestrated or if it's even orchestrated, it is some bullshit. And where is one of the few places that all of the people recognizing that this is bullshit can talk about it, can organize and potentially do something to fight it? The internet, you know, more specifically, social media platforms. This is a vehicle for people without much power to band together, to gather resources. And now a large percentage of those people that didn't have much power are benefiting financially from sex work. And collectively, they have a lot of power. So this is what I'm talking about when I say repealing Section 230 is harmful. Yes, it's a way to eliminate hate speech and organize violence online, and we 100% absolutely need that. But it's also a way for the powerful to silence marginalized communities who have finally found a path to change and are finally harnessing their power. There's got to be another way. And the sex censorship online is silencing sex workers. It inhibits their ability to earn a living. But it also censors anyone online who isn't being, quote, modest. It, it censors anyone talking about LGBTQ plus identity or sexual health, recognizing abuse and oppression. It even censors regular old people that just want to post a thirst trap. 
And who are the people statistically and demographically most likely to talk about these things and organize online? Who are the people who are statistically and demographically the most likely to post things that aren't 100%, you know, turtleneck up to your chin, cover your ankles, modest? Well, those that are politically progressive, leftist, or want to band together to create change. I'm going to say this again to drive it home. The censorship is not only silencing the significant amount of people who have found financial freedom through this disaster and those that support them. It's also silencing those that are statistically more likely to organize on social media, to speak out against what the government's doing, and to affect change. Now, again, this piece, this is my own, you know, my own personal viewpoints. And I encourage you again to do your own research, draw your own conclusions, but I implore you to not just look at the individual pieces, you know, every little tiny thing that's what's what's happening, existing independently from one another. I want you to look at how all of these things fit together systemically. It is mind blowing. Okay. I know this is a lot. I got one more thing on the censorship front that's coming up that you need to know about. SISEA, S-I-S-E-A. It stands for the Stop Internet Sexual Exploitation Act, and it's intended to, quote, prevent the uploading of pornographic images to online platforms without the consent of individuals in the images. This bill was co-sponsored by Ben Sass, a Republican from Nebraska, and Jeff Merkley, a Democrat from Oregon. It was the direct result of that New York Times article written by Nicholas Kristof that was published in December of 2020. It was part of that series of unfortunate events I was talking about. So on the surface, This bill sounds not only reasonable, but like something we should all want. You know, the uploading of non-consensual pornographic images is horrible. There should definitely be laws against this. But much like SESTA-FOSTA, that seemed to be about a noble cause, anti-trafficking, when we look a little bit deeper into the details of this bill, we see how it's problematic. This bill, SESIA, isn't keeping people safe. It isn't about keeping children safe. It's about disabling legal and consensual porn across the internet. So yeah, two years ago, all of these bills and things were, oh, anti-trafficking, oh, we're stopping trafficking. And that was sort of a cover for just shutting everything down. Now the the battle cry is, oh, we're saving the children, we're saving the children. And that's not what's happening at all. So to make the timing clear, this bill was introduced on December 18th of 2020. And it did die after the 116th Congress closed. But on January 9th, Senator Merkley confirmed that Cecilia will be reintroduced to the 117th Congress. Now, we don't know at this point if it will be submitted exactly as written or if any changes will be incorporated, but this is something we all need to keep our eyes on and be vocal to our senators about as soon as it is reintroduced. Even if there are a few changes on the fine details, the bill overall is quite damaging. 
To sum up Cecilia, it's intended to crack down on child porn and revenge porn, but what it's likely to do is eradicate almost all internet porn. The survivors of Cecilia will be large, multi-million dollar porn companies like MindGeek, who owns Pornhub, but smaller and independent sites and creators will not be able to operate under the restrictions of Cecilia. Now, keep in mind, these smaller independent sites are often woman-owned, queer-owned, and try to break the stereotypes and stigma of mainstream porn that's produced largely for the white male gaze. As a sexuality educator, you know, all of us often say that, oh, no, porn is not meant to educate. It's only for entertainment. That is true in a sense. However, some pornography is designed to challenge the status quo and positively impact societal attitudes around sex and sexuality. So while these types of platforms may not be directly educating about, you know, the mechanics of sex or be sex ed, they are teaching us invaluable things about identity, gender, sexual expression, consent, relationships, and so many other important things. So basically, Cecilia would make platforms have to maintain a centralized database and a 24-hour hotline to remove non-consensual material. This disregards the protection that porn websites already have in place, like Pornhub. You know, like I said before, they don't want this material on their sites either. And they can already face very serious consequences for having it on their website. And, you know, thankfully, as sex workers have been urging them to do for years, Pornhub has finally disallowed the uploading of material by people who are not verified on the website. And that's a huge step in the right direction and will take care of a lot of what Cecilia is trying to do. The FSC, which is the Free Speech Coalition, issued a statement about Cecilia, and I'm going to read portions of it to you because it sums up exactly what's going on. You know, first, they specify in their statement that producers of explicit content are already required to verify age and secure consent. Major civil and criminal penalties already exist for those who don't. Now, as an aside, what they're referring to is they're talking about the 2257 forms that are required by the Child Protection and Obscenity Enforcement Act of 1988. Yes, it already does this. All adult platforms are required to maintain a 2257 database that includes a copy of a government-issued ID, model release for people appearing in the images, and that database must be maintained and can be requested by the government at any time. So we don't need Cecilia to help us with this. They go on to say platforms from tube sites to Twitter would be required to verify the identity, age, and consent for every single person represented in any image that might be interpreted as sexual, no matter how or when it was produced or by whom. Each platform would have to maintain those records in an accessible database and cross-reference it with a government database. The bill would result in the wholesale removal of most sexually explicit content online, creating massive new legal liabilities for users who share legally produced content and incentivizing platforms to ban sex-related content in general. They go on to say that pornography has no legal definition, but the bill defines it as, quote, sexually explicit content. And the FSC actually details out the things that would be forbidden under Cecilia. Those are actual filmed sex acts or masturbation, 
simulated sex acts from mainstream Hollywood studios, private photos exchanged on dating apps, sex education images and diagrams, historical images or nudes, and images or drawings related to nudity or sexual expression. This statement goes on to read, and I'm going to do this word for word because it is important. The definition of pornography is so broad that any platform or service would be required to secure the same age, identity, and release forms for anyone portrayed in any potentially sexual scenario, whether it was a GIF from Game of Thrones, a Maplethorpe photo, an explicit parody drawing of Trump and Putin, or a self-produced sex tape. Platforms that do not secure the identity and releases would be fined. The user uploading it could be sued by those appearing in the photo. And again, I'm just going to reiterate, they're talking about all websites, not just porn websites. We're talking Twitter, Facebook, whatever. The FSC goes on to say this bill is wildly unconstitutional and if implemented would effectively silence sexual speech online. Most non-adult platforms would likely react by terminating even potentially suggestive content rather than manage massive databases of personal information or expose themselves to the liability that comes with it. We would see an invasive ban on sexual expression between consenting couples on platforms like Skype and dating apps, the wholesale deplatforming of sex workers on social media, and the eradication of most sex-related content online. Given the bill's roots in an evangelical anti-porn campaign, this wide censorship of sex may be a feature, not a bug, of the legislation. That's quite a statement. And I, like I said, I have it linked. I encourage you to read the whole thing. Now, there's a few other ludicrous tidbits that were written into Cecilia. One is it actually makes some child porn legal. So what it does is it supersedes the 18 plus laws, right? Where you have to be 18 plus no matter where you are to upload. It allows people to use the age of consent in the states where the material is uploaded. So like the states that allow for child brides and grooms or whatever, that now becomes the age of consent for online porn. I looked up some statistics here. 45 U.S. states allow a person under 18 years old to marry. In 11 states, it's 17. In 27 states, it's 16. And in Massachusetts, it's 12 years old for females and 14 years old for males. I don't think anyone wants to see 12-year-old porn on the internet and that made legal. And also, as an aside, why aren't lawmakers doing anything about this? Anyway, uh, another thing, when you get into specifics, you'll see that the database would allow people to refuse to have any image of themselves uploaded, you know, to whatever site. That's okay. Uh, but it doesn't apply to sex workers, as if a sex worker couldn't possibly be a victim of revenge porn themselves. Cecilia also, the provisions apply to computer-generated images, so that could eradicate any CGI, porn, you know, cartoon, furry, hentai, all gone. Cecilia is written so broadly that most websites would just have to stop you know, hosting whatever. Mainstream sites would have to crack down so hard on vanilla and just mainstream content that those sites would be disabled. I don't know if they would have to stop allowing visual content altogether, like by Instagram. 
Another alternative is that pornographic material will be pushed into the dark web, you know, where it's not regulated at all, which creates more victims and isn't helping anyone. And of course, like so many of these anti-sex and anti-porn bills, CECIA would have a disproportionate impact on marginalized sex workers. So friends, this is a mess. It is a mess. All of this seemingly unrelated censorship, when you add it all together, is a huge problem. And it affects so much more than pornography. It affects our ability to... You know, and I I hate to sound like the people crying free speech that don't know what that means, but it really does legitimately affect free speech. And all of this is coming down from the government. And as I mentioned, I am looking at this through more of an educator and an activist lens and how the important conversations that we have and the stigma and stereotypes that we break, how vital that is. And also the social progress that we've made in so many respects, you know, whether it's identity, civil and human rights, sexuality, environmental progress, so much more, having the ability for us to speak freely about that, all of those things will be affected by censorship that on the surface only seems to affect the, quote, seedy corners of the internet. So keep up on this, American fuckers. Please read some of the articles I have linked in the show notes. Follow organizations like the FSC, the Free Speech Coalition. I know for a fact that they can use your donations to help fight this. So go look them up online. I have linked in the show notes. Also places like the Electronic Frontier Foundation, the Woodhull Freedom Foundation. There's a lot more. And in the next couple of weeks, Ken and I are going to be speaking with Rose Montoya to talk about her story. Rose is a trans woman who has been repeatedly targeted by transphobic trolls on social media and hearing what's happened to her and how she's trying to fight this and everything she's uncovered will definitely shed some light on things. Now, there's one other thing that's very closely related to this that I didn't even get into, um, social media algorithms. They are notoriously racist, ableist, sizist, anti-LGBTQ, and it's because they are taught by human behavior. So for instance, if you're white and young and thin and you post a thirst trap, you know, in a bikini on Instagram, odds are you'll be fine. Everyone will love your photo. No big deal. However, if you're black, you're fat, you're trans, whatever, and you're posting that same thirst trap, and maybe you're showing even less skin. Let's say you're in a full coverage swimsuit, one from the 1920s with legs and everything. You are much more likely to be removed for indecent or pornographic material. But why? It's because people are more likely to report that kind of content, either because they are purposely being trolls, or maybe they don't realize their own biases. And what happens is the algorithm picks up on that pattern and starts pulling that kind of material even before humans report it. It, Basically, these racists and assholes are teaching the algorithm that that's 
normal. And I'm not doing this topic justice, and it could be really be a whole episode within itself. I recommend a couple of books. One is Race After Technology, and another is Algorithms of Oppression for more about this. But, the, you know, this is the kind of bias against marginalized people on social media that we're seeing on top of all of the other sex censorship. So it really is a double whammy. Here's some of the other things you can do. Start supporting or support more sex educators, sex workers, marginalized creators. Our avenues of income are drying up. You know, me, for example, I can't advertise on social media, so I have to rely on organic growth and word of mouth. But I'm suppressed on social media. Sometimes I'm even shadow banned, so people just don't see my posts. And I'm always at risk of my payment processor shutting down my accounts. Most recently, Stripe shut down my account. Um, and for things like email campaigns, you know, they say, oh, email marketing is where it's at. Mainstream platforms like MailChimp don't allow my type of content. And in order to use an email provider that allows my kind of content, which is non-titillating sex education, that's like on the same decency level as what you'd hear in a high school health class, like it's nothing that outrageous. I have to use a specialty provider and those specialty providers charge two and three times more for the same services as MailChimp does. And even then, my emails get flagged by Gmail and Yahoo and whatever. So my recipients never see them in the first place. It is a struggle. And this is what so many adult creators face. So please go out of your way to join their Patreons, buy their services, or just retell their posts on social media so more people discover them. Also, when it comes to the bills and the legal stuff, write your senators. It's actually really easy. I'll t two steps. I'll tell you how to get it done every time. First, Google, how do I find the email addresses of the senators in my state? It'll pop right up. Then, whatever issue it's for, Google for a pre-written script, like for CECIA, like Google, oh, CECIA email script for senators. And it, you, it'll pull up a bunch of different scripts that people have written. You can either copy paste it as is or make any modifications you feel necessary. It's pretty simple and just boom, send off that email. It really does make an impact. Lastly, what you can do, American fuckers, please start talking to your friends and family about this. I know this episode is like really heady and it's a lot to chew on, but share it, right? So many people think like, oh, pff, that only affects sex workers, whatever. And first, okay, that's a pretty fucked up attitude. Someone you love as a sex worker, I guarantee it. And sex workers save your asses in so many ways that you don't even realize. So shut your mouth. But secondly, um, that's not true. This affects every single one of us. And yeah, even your grandma, whether she has an OnlyFans page or not. American fuckers, thank you all for listening. I know this was heavy. It's a lot for your brain to chew on, but it is so important. Oh my goodness, it's so important. So until next week, American fuckers, love ya. Bye. Thanks for listening to American Sex. To keep up with Ken and I, we'll first make sure you watch our TV show, Sex with Sunny Megatron, on Showtime. Then visit SunnyMegatron.com. There you can learn more about us, read our blog, peruse our workshop calendar, or hire us. For what? Well, either for private coaching, or to book us to teach at your event or university, or as sex and relationship writers for your publication. Oh, and don't forget, we're on social media, too. 
I'm the super social one, so you can find me as Sunny Megatron on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, my YouTube channel, and a bunch of other places. But if you want to get me on Snapchat, you got to look for Sunny underscore Megatron, and you can follow Ken on Twitter at at tag SciChicken. That's P-S-Y-C-H-I-C-K-E-N. Also, please support us by shopping with the affiliates and sponsors from our breaks. And if you contribute to our Patreon, we're going to love you forever. Well, we're going to love you forever anyway, but just go with it. Lastly, if you like this broadcast, tell people about it. Tweet it, Facebook status it, and rate it on iTunes and other platforms. Thanks, friends. We'll see you next week on American Sex.